We're going to conclude part one of Hebrews tonight, and then down the road at our next encounter meeting we'll finish it, because it's just too big of a book to really do it justice in four sessions. Remember, Hebrews was written to uh, Christians who had come out of Judaism, and because of persecution and so forth, they were looking at going back into Judaism, leaving Christianity, and so Paul... We believe it was the Apostle Paul wrote, or I believe it was the Apostle Paul wrote this to them to convince them that Jesus is better than uh, Judaism. And thank God for Judaism, but Judaism, you know, was there and from it came Christ and we should move over and follow him. And there is no salvation apart from Jesus. Um, And then, of course, he wrote... um, to show that as we got into Hebrews, we saw that he wrote that, first of all, Jesus was better than the prophets and better than the angels. We've seen that. That better than Moses. We looked at that. Better than Joshua. So we looked at that. And now we'll get in tonight into the uh, high priest. That Jesus is better than the high priest of the old covenant. And so let's go to... Uh, the fifth chapter of Hebrews, we'll just pick up right there. That's where we left off last week. We finished chapter 4, we'll start with chapter 5. And I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Every high priest, verse 1, every high priest, Hebrews 5, 1, every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offer sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people. Have you ever met any ignorant and wayward people? Because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. <clears throat> so what Paul is starting up here is the theme showing that Jesus is better than the priests of the Old Covenant. Verse 3, that is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was. And of course, we saw that in the Old, you see that in the Old Testament. Aaron, um, you know, from Levi, if you go all the way back, Levi and then Aaron and so forth. Aaron came down and was 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 the, the priestly line, if you will. Anyway, verse 5, that is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God, who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father, or today I have begotten you. And we've talked about that. And then in verse 6, and in another passage, and then he's going to quote Psalm 110, verse 4 now. He said, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And, uh, of course, who is Melchizedek? You'd have to go to Genesis, the 14th chapter in the 18th verse. This was, you can turn there if you like. This is in the New King James. I'll read it. Um, After Abraham, or Abram, his name was changed to Abraham. Abram had been in a battle and he had, God gave him a great victory. He was coming back from that battle and in Genesis 14:18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, or actually Jerusalem, 
So what that really is referring to. Brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed, he blessed uh, him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who was delivered, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him, notice what Abram or Abraham did. He gave him a what? A tithe of all. And this is all we have in the Old Testament about Melchizedek other than he's mentioned in Psalm 110, verse 4, which was referring to Jesus, your priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, the question is, who is Melchizedek? And there's many different thoughts or theories on that. But uh, uh, it's the only place he really appears is Abraham, he appears to Abram. And he has, he has bread and wine, which would be a type of the body and blood of Christ. <clears throat> and uh, he evidently serves that to Ab- Abram. And Abram gave him a tithe of all. And uh, to get a little more on him, you can go back to Hebrews, the seventh chapter, and the first verse. And the reason Paul is bringing him up is just to, I mean, the Jews knew, they, they knew their Old Testament, particularly the first five books. And of course, Genesis, where Melchizedek is mentioned. And... Uh, <clears throat> Paul is going to give them a little more information and give us a little more information on Melchizedek. Uh, Verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, but that really should be Jerusalem, priest of the Most High God, Who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. We saw that. We just read that. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part or a tithe of all. And then now he's going to tell us something about Melchizedek. A little bit more about him. First being translated king of righteousness. Or king of that which is right. The Strong's Concordance translates it king of right. That's a good name for Jesus, isn't it? But he's talking about Melchizedek. And then he goes on to say about Melchizedek, and then also king of Salem, or Jerusalem, meaning king of peace. Well, Jesus is the prince of peace, isn't he? And then verse 3 is very interesting. Without father, without mother. Now, some argue (coughs) that We just don't know who Melchizedek's father was or mother. Without genealogy. And then they'll say, well, and this is in the New King James Version now. This is verse 3, Hebrews 7 verse 3. Without father, without mother, without genealogy. They say, well, it just wasn't recorded. We just don't know. It just wasn't recorded. Having neither beginning of days or end of life. (coughs) Hmm. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life. And then they'll say, well, we just don't know when he was born or when he died. The more that this this goes on here, it 
without father, without mother. Talking about Melchizedek here. Without, apparently, natural father, natural mother, no genealogy, neither beginning of days or end of life, but made like who? The Son of God. Wow. Remains a priest continually. Who was Melchizedek? And there's great argument, or debate is a better word, and argument about who Melchizedek was. Some scholars say that he was a real man that lived and that was really a, 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 a human being. Others think, and this is what I, I think, is that he was not a living human being, but he was actually what is known as a Christophany or a Theophany. I don't even know how to spell it. You can Google it. Theophany, Christophany means the same thing. What, it, what that is, and we've talked about that in the past, it's an Old Testament appearance of the second member of the Trinity. Like when uh, Nebuchadnezzar looked in and saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then... There was a fourth man in a fiery furnace. And I think it says there, like unto the Son of God. Remember that? And so, uh, uh, he appeared to Joshua before Joshua took, the, uh, took Jericho. In other places, you, 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 know, you can make argument where the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, we didn't, they didn't know him as Jesus back there in the Old Covenant, but appeared. And I think that this is one of them, Melchizedek. Because we don't, we don't know, we're only given a little bit about him in, in Genesis. And then here, when, when Paul, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, verse 3 again. Think of this. Well, we'll go back to verse 2. King of righteousness, or king of right, king of peace, and then without father, without mother. And the implication here, without natural father, natural mother, Jesus hadn't been born yet of the virgin, Without genealogy, <clears throat> not a human being at that point, having neither beginning of days or end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So that's who I think Melchizedek was. Wars have been fought over who he is, and he could have been a human being. He could have been, and I could be wrong. It, it's, do you understand it's not a heaven-hell issue? Do you understand that? It, it, it just isn't, it's not really worth giving any more time to it, really, than what, what we've given to it. <coughs> it's like arguing about who the two witnesses are in the book of Revelation. I think it's Enoch and Elijah, but, you know, it, because those two men never died. They were both caught up to heaven, translated. So, you know, but small wars can be fought. The, the thing is, is that Melchizedek, <coughs> what, what, what Paul is trying to do is tell us that Jesus was not of the Levitical or the Aaronic priesthood, out of Levi or Aaron. He's trying to say that Jesus was not, and he gets into it later as we get into it, whether tonight or down the road, that he's likening Jesus to Melchizedek, who Melchizedek was not like the Levitical priesthood or Aaron, you know. He was above that. And, and, and Paul is saying, as good as these priests in the Old Testament were, we're not comparing Jesus to them. You compare Jesus to, Mel- to Melchizedek. Okay? You alright with that? 
Um, now, I feel impressed to say this. Uh, this is the Word of God, you know. And when's the last time you ever heard anything like this taught in a quote-unquote big, seeker-friendly, mega-type church? You, you don't ever see that. But is this important? Someplace, somewhere, we ought to talk about this stuff. At some point. Don't you think that... I mean, you know, a lot of people say the book of Hebrews is boring. Well, it isn't. Why would God give it to us? And, And I've learned this over the years. If people would just... Come and sit under the Word of God. You can get healed of cancer while we're studying about Melchizedek. Relationships could be healed while we're studying about Melchizedek. Why is that? It's because the anointing is on the Word. Is that right? You okay? Just just submitting yourselves and saying, I'm going to go sit under that even though I don't even understand a whole lot about it, but it's the Word of God and bless God, I'm going to come and sit under that Word. And the anointing, the power of God rides on the Word. So you can, the point I'm trying to make is you can, you can study about Melchizedek and get healed. You understand what I'm saying? But a lot of folks, they just don't see that. It's... I scratch my head over it. Anyway, let's get back to it, and we'll go, say more about Melchizedek. Actually, we could, we could, I could go on with him right now. Let's just work our way back over to him. Go back to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. I needed to do that because he comes up here and there, and it's just, it's if if you don't, if I don't do what I just did, then when we read about him, you don't know who he is. Are you okay now? Who Melchizedek is? So I believe that he was uh, the second member of the Trinity appearing in pre-Bethlehem form. A Christophany. Jesus appearing before Bethlehem. You okay? That's, that's what I think. Because the others just don't fit to me that he was a, a, a real human being. It just doesn't fit. Now, now I, uh, there's some good Bible teachers that say that he was actually a, a human being. And he might have been. But anyway, the point is, is that... G- Paul is comparing Jesus to Melchizedek who was above the Old Testament priests. Okay? Trying to show that Jesus is better than the Old Testament priests. Alright, let's go back to Hebrews 5. And pick up verse uh, 7. This is in the New Living Translation now. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Well, if I mean, that teaches me something about prayer right there. Do you know that, the, I think David said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And if you regard, it regards sin, if you're, you know, if, you, if you're playing with sin, you really don't reverence God like you should. Is that right? And so it's going to hinder your prayers. But Jesus offered up prayers with a cry and tears. To the, and, I, and I presume he's talking about in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And then perhaps other times, we, we certainly know that's when he prayed concerning the cross. And, and actually, in that Mount of Transfiguration, how many remembers when Jesus was transfigured? And I believe it was Moses and Elijah appeared to him and talked to him about his upcoming decease. Getting him ready for it, you know. And remember, Jesus was, was in great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and uh, right here, verse 7, And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God, for God the Father. Even though Jesus was God's Son, he learned obedience. Now, this is talking about his humanity. And remember what the book of Hebrews is doing is exalting. It's not really dealing with Jesus' deity. It's dealing with Jesus' humanity. We've talked about that. And he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And the implication here, this suffering, and it brings it out in a later verse here in Hebrews, whether we get to it tonight, I don't know. But the suffering that that this is talking about is when he resisted temptation. Resisting temptation is a suffering on the flesh. It really is. Is there anything you ever really wanted to do but you knew it was wrong and you resisted it? And it is a suffering on the flesh. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And then people say of Jesus, well, you know, he didn't have the nature of the flesh, which he didn't. He didn't. That was bypassed in the virgin birth. He had flesh, he just didn't have the sin nature in him. Is that right? So people say, well, the temptations... And the temptations that he faced were real temptations, right? They were. But people say, well, he didn't have the nature of the flesh, so he did, it wasn't as hard on him to resist as it was on you and me. No, it was harder. When's the last time the devil appeared to you and offered you all the kingdoms of the world and the glory thereof? Think about that. But where Adam in the Garden of Eden suffered and failed, Jesus suffered and succeeded. We talked about that in the second session. Verse 9, In this way God qualified him. See, what does that mean to me? It means this to me. If Jesus had ever sinned, he'd have been disqualified. And we'd have all been lost eternally in a devil's hell. Isn't that sobering to think about? In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. After the order of who? And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Interesting, it didn't say just believe on him. Yes, you believe on him, but if you really believe on him, you're going to what? Obey him. Like my mother looked at me. One time, and she says, you talk about believing on the Lord. She says, that's right and good. But she said, you also have to live according to it. Not live according to it to be, to, that, that, live, not to get saved. You get saved through faith. But if you're really born again, you're going to live according to it, aren't you? According to the Word. My mom knew more about the Bible than I thought she did sometimes. But Jesus is the source of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. 
And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. See, I had to explain to you who Melchizedek was or we keep reading about him. You don't know who he is. That would be a good password for your security company, wouldn't it? Melchizedek. And then they ask you how to spell it and then you're... I'm just teasing with you. Verse 11. There's a mu- now, now this, now, <laughs> the Apostle Paul runs up against something I think every preacher has run up against. There's much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Think about that. Spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. How does that read in the in the New King James? Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You know that the congregation and I would have never believed this until I became a pastor and began to preach and teach on a regular basis. I never would have believed it. I'd heard preachers talk about it, but I never I didn't really know what they were talking about. But but when you get on this side and you of the pulpit and you start teaching, you'd be surprised how limited a preacher is by the congregation, by, by their, uh, 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 like if you've got a congregation that's hanging on every word, there's things that come out of me that I didn't, by the Spirit, that I, from the Word of God that I didn't even know I'd put in there years ago. People just pull it out of you, draw it out of you, just pull it out of you. Like pulling, pulling water out of a well. And you can get in front of a congregation and they're sitting there and they're swat, looking at their watch and can't wait to get out of there and, you know, half asleep and, you know, and, and it, 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 it hinders. It does. It hinders. It hinders. It, 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 there's been lots of services where we've, over the, more so in years gone by where we, we come to a service we we might only got 20% out of what God had for us. Sometimes you get you get more. It just depends. It varies week to week. Sometimes folks come and they're all sharpened, ready to go. And a lot of times they're not. But what I'm trying to say is a congregation can really affect the pulpit. If you get a congregation that's really hungry for God and they're praying and they're praying that God gives the pastor utterance and, and that he'll speak boldly as he ought to speak, boy, you get up here and I tell you what, you can really, you can get into some things deep inside the Word of God and really bless people. You know what I'm saying? Get, get more out of it. Uh, sometimes, if the, if the congregation's really sharp, you can get, you can, a 40 minute sermon will turn into 20 minutes because you could get it out quicker. Some congregations, you get in front of them, you got a 20-minute message. It takes 40 minutes to get it across because you can see people aren't getting it, so you got to go back over it again, you see. Or you never do get out what, what God has in you to get out because pe- folks have to put a draw on it. Same thing's true with the healing anointing. If, 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 and really with anything with God, if you don't esteem the things of God, He's not going to bother you with them. Did you hear me? You understand that? And these people had, he said, you're spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. So is it possible to become spiritually dull? Certainly. You've got to keep yourself stirred up. 
And that's what had happened to these people. And in fact, they'd become so dull that they were looking at walking away from the Lord Jesus. And then verse 12, he says, you've become, you, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. Now, most all of you in here that have, that I know, now you haven't been in the things of God as long as the others in here, so it's still new. But most of you really ought to be able to, now I'm not talking about necessarily in front of a, you know, in, 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 in a, sometimes public speaking isn't people's things. But, but any one of you ought to be able to get up and give a simple salvation message to, to a group of people. You should know enough about that. You should be able to explain water baptism to somebody. You should be able to explain the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You should be able to explain uh, uh, a, a little bit about healing to people. About walking in love. About the grace of God. About the mercy of God. The goodness of God. The love of God. You understand what I'm saying? And he's going to get a little more into what he's talking about here in just a moment. He said, verse 12, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies. Woo! Well, I tell you that what? I mean, do you think that would offend somebody if you called them a baby? You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone... Who lives on milk is still an infant, doesn't know how to do what's right. Solid food is for those who are mature. Now remember, the word is likened unto food. And there's milk in here and there's solid meat in here. The book of Hebrews is meat. Did you hear me? It's meat. And as a pastor, I'm a spiritual dietitian. And so I have to. Now tonight I'm serving meat. We're serving meat. T-bone steak. You couldn't really serve this to a little bitty baby. You know, somebody just first born again. You know what I mean? No more than you take a little three-month-old baby and put a T-bone steak down in front of them. They're not going to be able to eat it. Is that right? But then again, you know, and the thing you deal with as a pastor is you have people, you know, that have, have been around and have studied the Word for years and years and years and years and years. And, and then, you know, I have to get up. And, and I dealt with this years ago. And not in recent day, but I had, a, had some folk around here when I'd get up and teach a milk sermon, they'd get all upset. They wanted meat, 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 give me meat, give me meat, give me meat. And I'd say, but I've got people in here that have just been born again. I don't care, just give me meat. If you don't give me meat, I'm going to go somewhere where I can get meat. Every t- meat, 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 meat. Except they went they couldn't find meat everywhere. <laughs> meat, meat, meat. But, but you see somebody that, you see they didn't really care about people, they cared only about themselves. Did you get what I just said? You see, if you're a mature Christian and you love the meat, all right. But you, you'll understand that little baby Christians, they're, they're going to need their pastor to teach them some milk sermons. And you know everybody can use a milk sermon now and then. Is that right? 
So milk and meat, and I try to mix it up. So if it's if it's a Sunday when I'm teaching on the meat, well, enjoy it. If it's a Sunday when I'm teaching milk, well, you know, get out of it. What you you can always get something new out of the Word of God. You know what I mean? Different, different. For you. It'll always bless you the Word of God, even if it's something you've heard a million times. You know, you know what I mean? And uh, I still go back to Jack Nicholas. What did he do? The beginning of every golf season, he went back to the basics in the greatest golfer of all time there's a lot of golfers out there i don't need to go back and look at those basics i don't need that well they're you know i can tell you something else about those people they're not they're not the greatest golfer of all time are they what did the greatest one do he he was always quick to go back to the basics so the point here is is that you know we ought to grow up we ought to desire uh milk and then and then grow and then get into the meat but then as a as, realize as a pastor i have to serve them both up to you anyway uh, verse 14, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Actually, if you really study into verse 14 here, uh, uh, in the King James, if we look at it in the King James, strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You can get yourself to a point. Remember we talked about having the nature of the flesh? You can get, we all have to deal with that. Remember Paul said, I keep under my body or I keep my flesh under control. He said that over in First or Second Corinthians. You can actually train your flesh to the point when sin comes up or sin is presented to you that your flesh, instead of desiring it, your flesh will resist it. That verse, if you study into that verse, that's what that verse is saying. Did you hear me? You can, you can exercise. See, if you'd have looked at me four years ago when I weighed 235 pounds, I didn't get to, from there to here where I weigh 168 this morning. Do you think this happened by accident? I just ran five miles before I came over here. And I do that every day or every other day. It takes what? Exercise. Weight room every other day. We've done it now for four going on four four and a half years. A lot healthier. And I've exercised myself to the point where actually when I used to do sit ups I did I did I did fifty and Diane held my knees and I did them ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. We counted by tens. And, and actually, I, got, I couldn't even do a sit-up. And I, I got it to where when I came up and sat up. Actually, I started in a sitting position. And I laid down and let the fat roll up to, to my shoulders. And then I let the, the momentum carry me back up. And I, it was just, you know what I'm saying? It was really funny to watch. But I've trained myself. Now, when I go into Quick Trip to get my Diet Coke, when I walk by the donut aisle... Where they got all the donuts, my flesh—you'd never—I—my flesh resists it. I don't even want it. You know what I'm saying? My flesh used to be drawn to it. Now my flesh resists it. Used to be drawn to the McDonald's. Used to be drawn to the White Castle. Used to be drawn to these—you know—to the bakeries, the Krispy Kreme. Now my, I resist it. My flesh—I've trained my flesh that if I don't run every day, every other day, my flesh—believe it or not—I I, want to go out there and run. You can train yourself. You understand? 
And that, and you, same thing is true with, with sin, and that's what he's talking about. He said, but strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even those who by reason of, of use, see, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What that's really saying, if you study it out, is you can get yourself to the point where, you know, a, a member of the opposite sex goes walking by dressed, you know, immodestly, that the flesh, instead of, you know, doing the flesh will resist it. Did you get Did you get what I just said? Or the temptation to gossip. You hear a bunch of people talking bad about somebody, whereas you used to want to listen in on that. Your flesh. No, I got to get away from that. You can You can train yourself to resist evil things. You okay? Now, much more we could say about that. Let's move to chapter six, verse one. <clears throat> and then he says, let's, this New Living Translation, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. So it's time to grow up here. Like at the Baptist church, there's no reason to keep teaching on salvation every Sunday because most of the people there are already saved. And when I was in a Baptist church, they taught a salvation message every Sunday. But you don't need to teach salvation to people that are already saved. Did you get what I just said? Now, there's nothing wrong with making an altar call at the end of every service. We do that <coughs> on Sunday mornings or teaching about getting saved. There's nothing wrong with that. You understand what I'm talking about? <coughs> there's time, you know, we, we need to move on to some deeper, deeper waters, don't we? Of the Word of God. Now, you never want to go out on beyond the Word of God. You're out too deep for me then. But you can get into some, some things that, you know... We're into some deep things here. But these folks had become dull of hearing. They hadn't grown as they should. They, they were still babies in some things. And he said, stop going over these basic teachings again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fun, fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Let's look this up in the New King James. I like the way it reads in the New King James. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let's go on to that perfection means maturity, not laying again. So what we're going to read now is the, these are elementary things. Now what's elementary? Repentance from dead works, and then what? Faith toward God, then the next verse, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I remember some years ago, I, I said this the other night, but it bears repetition. I'm not sure it got on the, the, the teaching tape or the CD or whatever, the recording, so I want to be sure that it does. But I had a fellow many years ago come to me, and he said, Pastor Terry, he said, uh, I will not bring a baby Christian to Summit Church. Really? Okay. And he said, no, I would take them. And he called a large church in the area. He said, I would take them there. And he said to me, he said, essentially, he said, all you teach about, because I was on a series, I think, on, on this. And he said, you teach about repentance from dead works and faith toward God and the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. He said, you're shoving all that meat right down their throats. They don't need to hear that. that. 
I'm taking them somewhere where they can get some milk. You're going to choke them to death with repentance from dead works and faith toward God and baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. You're going to you're going to you're going to choke those little baby Christians to death with that. I'm not bringing them here to Summit Church. I'm going to take them. And he called the name of, the, of a large church in, in the St. Louis area. And I uh, sought the Lord about that. Because one thing that I do do when somebody accuses me of something, you know, like in that case, and as it turned out to be falsely, he wasn't right, but I took it to heart and I examined myself. That's what we ought to do, shouldn't we? And I was before the Lord and, and the Lord spoke to my heart very sternly. And he said this, he said, they're calling milk meat. And at the foundation of that is why this nation is in the mess that it's in. Because you get up teaching on national television to congregations about how to have your best life now, continuously, 24-7, and you never deal with these things. While babies are being killed left and right and in abortion clinics and... Nobody's much crying out about that, but we're telling everybody how to have their best life now, and I could go on. Legalizing same-sex marriage. They're calling milk meat. Did you get that? What is this right here? What was I, what am I, when I'm teaching repentance from dead works, faith toward God, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, what am I teaching? I'm teaching milk. What baby Christians need to hear. That fella should have been bringing those baby Christians here to hear that. To hear the milk of the word. Did you get what I just said? But they call milk meat. And you see, he was calling this, this is milk here, they was calling it meat. Oh, you're just choke, you choke those little babies. Take them over there to that place, they never will grow up. Nobody's ever going to step on their toes. But I was going to just tell them how wonderful they are and pat, pat them on the head while they continue in their sin. You might as well say amen. It's the truth. Yeah, but we have more fun over there. Well, sure, you're going to have more fun when you're... Nothing much is required of you. Well, how did I get off on that? But it's the truth. You okay with what I just said? I like that. I like that. Junk food. Yeah. 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 Susie Q's. I used to eat five Susie, four or five Susie Q's before I went to school in the morning. Yeah. Oh, ding-dongs. Yeah, ding-dongs. You know, it's interesting. We were walking through the grocery store the other day. Didn't, didn't Hostess, didn't they stop making Twinkies uh, some time ago? And there was such an outcry for the Twinkies that they, another company bought it up. And You think about that. You think we're not going to, bless God, we're not going to do without our Twinkies. If there's an atomic war, roaches and Twinkies are the only thing that will survive. Yeah, that's a lot of truth to that. It's like people tell me about, I do drink, I do drink more Diet Coke than I should. And they say if you pour that, pour that down a, like a, it'll, 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 uh, 
clean clean rust off the drain. So that always encourages me when people say that to me. But nonetheless, but I get a little stirred up when I'm teaching these things that are that are milk and that little babies need, but people accuse me of being way over everybody's head. But didn't you read it right there? This is milk. Do you see that? Well, you have to have repentance from dead works and you have to have faith toward God and then there's a baptism into the body of Christ and they're saved. Now, the rest of them... Water baptism, baptism in the spirit, laying on of hands. You lay hands on the sick to re- recover. Uh, lay hands on uh, uh, people to impart a spiritual gift. Jesus laid hands on people to bless them. Resurrection of the dead. We could talk about that eternal judgment. But yeah, you need the first two, 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 two and a third of them to get to get saved. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Well, that's right. If he if he's not if Christ is not risen, you're still in your sins. So, I'll con- I'll concede it. You almost need all of them to to be saved, if not all of them. Yeah, good point. That's a good point, Alex. So, so I've always when I read that, I always think of that story. Uh, ABCs, ABCs, yeah. I remember uh, one time I was up in front of a, a class and uh, I was doing a midweek you know, class and I said, uh, and there's Christians in the room been saved for years and years and years and I said to them, I said, let's see how many of the elementary principles of Christ we can list and out of that particular group that was in there, guess how many I got? Couldn't name a one of them. So, if you're taking notes, what I expect of you is you ought to be able to name these. What is the first one? Repentance from dead works. And then what? Faith toward God. And then what? Baptisms. Is that talking just about water baptism? No, that's talking baptism into Christ. That's where you get saved. And water baptism, baptism with the Spirit. And then what? Laying on of? hands resurrection of the dead and that's the rapture you should know the difference between the rapture and the second coming how many years are they apart approximately seven you should be able to explain to somebody what the rapture is you should be able to explain to somebody what the tribulation period is just briefly you know just you should be able to do that anyway and then the laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment which is the great white throne judgment, isn't it? You ought to be able to show somebody from the Bible how good heaven is and how bad hell is, right? Do you know Jesus said more about hell than he did heaven? Did you know that? Exactly. Warning them, yeah. 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 Yeah, when Jesus dealt with the religious people, he dealt with them completely differently than he dealt with, like, the woman taken in adultery. He showed people that didn't know much about the Bible, total grace, 
I mean, he, he showed grace to everybody. He loved everybody. But he showed, he dealt with people like that. The woman taken in adultery and folks like that. He dealt with them totally different than he dealt with the religious hypocrites. Definitely. Yeah. Jesus is good. He's really good. He's a lot better than we think he is. He, you see... See, Jesus, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. He does not have love. He is love. He has faith. But He is love. There's nothing you can do to ever make Him stop loving you. Isn't that wonderful? Is He wonderful? He is love. God is what? Love. And, and again and again the Bible would say that Jesus looked on people and he was moved with compassion. When the compassion of God comes on you, man, you just want to do anything you can to help somebody. God is so good and loving and merciful. We're going to read a verse somewhere down in here. He talks about where he saves to the uttermost. Well, we could go. Let's go ahead and read on here. Uh, I already dealt with Hebrews 6, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. We already talked about those in verse 8. Let's go to verse 9. We talked about the unpardonable sin and all of that. We talked about that in the first session, so I don't want to go over that again. Look at verse 9 in the New Living Translation. This is Hebrews 6, 9. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. You know, I'm a little bit like the Apostle Paul. You know, my wife used to tell me, because I used to do this, I'd, I'd, back when I was younger, I'd, sometimes I could get pretty tough on a congregation, and then when I got done, I said, well, I didn't really didn't mean, I didn't really mean that, you know. I was a little too hard on you. But isn't the Apostle Paul kind of doing that right here? So see, Diane, I'm kind of like the Apostle Paul. He was a little tough on him, but then what does he say, verse Nine. He says, dear friends, even though we're talking this way, we really don't think it applies to you. I think that's just the goodness of God coming out in. What do you think? He says, uh, let's read it in the, in, the, in, the, in the King James. probably says it better. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. Things that accompany salvation. Let's look at the new King James Version. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. In other words, after he said all this, these things that he said, he said, really what he was saying is, but I'm going to believe better things of you than this. That's really what he's saying. I mean, isn't it good when you have somebody that's been pretty hard, at least they can step back and say, but I'm confident that there's, I'm confident, I believe better things of you than this. Isn't that, don't you think so? I don't know. I don't know. But he said, I... Yeah, I, I think what he's saying here is, 
Maybe I worded that wrong just a moment ago. But what I think he's saying is, is as serious and as bad as all these things are, I, I, I'm going to believe better things of you than that. Do you get in that? I think that's the way God feels about us. I do too. Yeah. 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 He, and he expects better things out of us. Yeah. And is quick to say so. Yeah. And, 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 I, and so verse 12 is really a, a, a or what, what was it? Verse 9 was really a verse that, that, that really spoke to my heart. And that, you know, as, as ser- and I agree with what Chris said, what Jeff said is all good. Uh, but, you know, as serious as this book is, he's, in, in the serious issues, he's saying, but I, I'm confident. I, I'm thinking better things of you than, than this. In other words... In light of all of this, I, I don't believe you're going to walk away. I'm confident you're not going to walk away from Jesus and go back into Judaism. So that's a good statement. Verse 10. For God is not unjust. He'll not forget how hard you have worked for him. Well, that's good to know, isn't it? And how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. For our great desire is that you will keep on loving others. This is New Living Translation. That you will keep on loving others. You ought to underline that. As long as life lasts, in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. So we ought to keep on loving others. Is that right? Then you will become spiritually, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. See, if you're loving others and you're really walking in the love of God and you're making an effort to love others, really, not just in word, but in deed, what did the Bible just say? You will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Every person that I have ever seen over the years that has become spiritually dull and indifferent, when you get right down to it, they don't care about nobody but themselves. Did you get what I just said there? Did you get what the Bible just said there? If you'll, and I'll say that again, every person that I've ever dealt with that has become spiritually dull and indifferent, you get right down to it, all they care about is themselves. They're not really loving others as they should. It's all about me, 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 me. But if we'll keep on loving others, what, 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 this is one thing, uh, maybe above all the other things I want you to take away from this first four sessions, is how do you not become spiritually dull and indifferent? By what? Keeping on what? Loving others. Wasn't that good? That was worth coming just to get that. How to keep, how to keep from becoming spiritually dull and indifferent? Keep on loving others. Verse 12, in the middle of the verse. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and, see, (coughs) and endurance. He's trying to get across to these people. They need to endure to the end. Don't walk away from the Lord. Don't give up and quit. Verse 13, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently. So he's trying to get across to them because these people respected Abraham. And Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. 
So see, these people, these Hebrews, had, they were Christians, they'd believed, but they were thinking about walking away from the Lord, going back into Judaism. And he's trying to get across to them that even Abraham, even after he had faith, he had to continue to endure. He's trying to tell them to endure. Tell you what, if you're here tonight, you're in there, you're listening on the, on the internet, you're in the middle of something that God has put you in, you need to endure in that thing until the end. Is that right? If God puts you in it. So I'm in this pulpit, I'm going to endure until he gives me something else to do. And he hasn't yet, so here I am. He's trying to show them Abraham had to endure, so, so you endure. Verse 15, Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath. So that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Isn't that good? God isn't going to change his mind concerning you or me and the plan of salvation. And all of his promises. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it good that there's somebody who's not going to lie to us? Isn't that wonderful? Especially today. Oh my goodness. Therefore... We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Now look at this. Jesus has already gone in there for us. When did he do this? After he was raised from the dead. We'll see that as we go on in this study. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of who? Do you know who that is? We told you, didn't we? And then in verse uh, chapter 7, verse 1, New King James Version. I've got seven minutes. So I might as well see how far we can get into this. How many chapters do we have in Hebrews? Is there 13? And I'm going to do half now and half Later, so I'm about halfway through now, aren't I? I've already talked about Melchizedek. And I've got six minutes left. This would be a good time to stop, wouldn't it? So, why don't we stop right here. But, but don't unhook. I've got five minutes. Do you have any questions or comments, Chris, about anything? You can turn me off now, Diane, if you want. Any? No? You good? Mr. Joseph 